Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, I'm going to start with a question, and uh, the question is this. How do you stop people believing about God? It's probably not the sort of question you'd expect um, uh, to to be looking at in church, Uh, but how do you stop? Uh, What's the best way of stopping people believing and thinking about God? Well, the best way to stop them thinking about God is to make them think about anything else and everything else instead. That's the tactic of the great deceiver. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book uh, called The Screwtape Letters, he he imagines a conversation between a a senior devil and a a junior devil who's being taught how to deal with patience, as they're called. Patience are people starting to believe in in God. And uh, the senior devil writes this, my dear Wormwood. By the very act of arguing, you awake the patient's reason. And once it is awake, who can foresee the result? Even if a particular train of thought can be twisted so as to end in our favor, you will find that you have strengthened in your patient the fatal habit of attending to universal issues and withdrawing his attention from the stream of immediate sense experiences. Your business is to fix his attention on the stream. Teach him to call it real life. And don't let him ask what he means by real. The tactic there is to withdraw attention from the eternal to the immediate. And that's exactly what the Sadducees had had done. As it's been said, uh, it's what made them sad, you see. Uh, That's... um, (laughs) A little, little joke for you. Uh, I'll throw that in for free uh, this morning. There were two Jewish groups uh, who were both opposed to, to Jesus uh, and actually opposed to, to each other as well. But they clubbed together in their o- opposition to the Lord Jesus. One group, uh, probably better known, are the Pharisees. Uh, they're the religious rule keepers, the rule enforcers, who Jesus calls whitewashed tombs. They're like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal sons. But the other group are the Sadducees, who are the spiritual secularists. They're naturally skeptical. They only accepted certain sections of the Bible. uh, And they were very this-earth-focused. They were focused on wealth creation, leading a good life in the present, being their top priority. Sounds familiar? Um, probably uh, does in terms of my London context. They have uh, more in common probably with the younger brother, uh, therefore, in Jesus' prodigal parable. And our reading this morning gives a fascinating insight into the minds of these spiritual secularist Sadducees and how Jesus responds to them in love and in truth. They approach Jesus with what is a totally hypothetical scenario and uh, a question. Their scenario is all about following the laws uh, relating to the duty of a brother to marry the widow of their their brother. And uh, if their brother died, uh, another brother's duty was to to marry that that widow. And they 
put it, push it to the comic extreme. Uh, they imagine seven uh, times this, this happens, so seven grooms for, for one bride. And the question they ask is, who is she married to in the resurrection? They don't believe in resurrection, but they still uh, ask that question anyway. After all, being married to seven brothers all at once would be a bit weird in, in the new creation, uh, never mind illegal. Uh, so uh, the, the question, though, is... I think quite, quite a weird question in, in itself. For one thing, I wouldn't be asking uh, who she's married to on the new earth. I'd be wanting to know what she added to the supper of her husband uh, on the, this earth. As um, We were talking about uh, this uh, over supper last night, and uh, uh, Jacob's daughter, Sophia, uh, said, if I was the seventh husband, I'd be sleeping with my eyes open, uh, which I thought was a, a very good point. So what does uh, this question tell us about the, the spiritual, secular worldview? Well, the, the first thing it tells us is that the desire of the spiritual secularist is to cut out and to, to catch out rather than to catch on. The Sadducees are defined by Luke uh, as those who don't believe in something. And that's uh, quite uh, instructive, isn't it? Their whole identity was about cussing things out of, of the Bible and not be- believing, focusing on just what they could see around them. They weren't interested in learning more about resurrection. From They, they called Jesus uh, a teacher, uh, but they don't want to be taught, actually. Their minds are closed. They've rejected uh, resurrection, and they've weaponized that rejection in terms of winning arguments. That's, that, that's their, their playtime uh, sparring match. And that's what the spiritual secular worldview does. It narrows our perspective on reality and uh, narrows our perspective in the negative, defining everything uh, by what we don't believe. And it's also decontentionifying, if that's a word, which it isn't, um, uh, life and and worldview. It's about homogenizing uh, our our view to a, a secular audience Uh, which cuts out religious language and and sort of spiritual language. People would say, I'm I'm spiritual but not religious. But what they actually mean by that uh, isn't I'm spiritual, because being spiritual means worshipping God in spirit and and truth. Uh, What they mean by that is, I don't want to to be defined uh, by that other reality. I I want that to be over there, Uh, and at arm's length. But I I found that in in my research. As Jacob said, I'm uh, doing a a project called Soulful Enterprise, and I'm uh, teaching in in the business world about uh, what it it means to to generate value other than just financial value. And I call this Theotech because I'm combining theology and and business uh, in in my my teaching. Um, But uh, often... The comments I'm given by people is just to keep keep to the the, the sort of earthly stuff. You know, cut out the theology. That's that's not helpful. That's not going to win you an, an audience. Uh, but actually, if I cut that out, then my whole teaching is is basically meaning, meaningless as a result. When I can cut things out uh, that don't matter, I can cut my hair, uh, what, what I have of it, and uh, you probably wouldn't even notice if I cut my, my hair. But if I was to cut out my heart, 
you, you, I, I would notice, and, and you would notice as, as well. It's inherent uh, to, to who I am. But that's what the, the, the Sadducees had done. They cut out the heart of what it means to, to know God and to worship him. And they uh, made it all just about living on this earth and uh, living the, the high life uh, for themselves. Secondly, the, the spiritual secular thinking uh, starts, we, we see from this passage, it starts by uh, concluding everything from a human earthly point of view. So the question they propose to Jesus is basically centered on the way things work on this earth, we're going to apply that and say that's how it's going to work on, on the, the earth to, to come. Their thinking about spiritual matters is purely based on a logic of how this, this earth uh, uh, happens. So the secularist song is John Lennon's uh, Imagine, isn't it? Imagine there's no heaven above, only sky. But imagining that doesn't take away the reality of it, that God is the God of the universe and a God that I can call Father. That is the heart of the, the Christian uh, message. But the Sadducees had, had rejected that, and they were just uh, playing with arguments about hypotheticals in, instead. So how does Jesus respond uh, to them? Well, lovingly, seriously, and clearly. I think one of the, the really remarkable things about this passage is uh, how Jesus doesn't just say, this is a stupid question. I mean, he could have done, couldn't he? So don't bother me with such dumb uh, ideas. But instead, Jesus listens to them, and he answers a hypothetical with the fullness of grace and truth. Now, um, I don't uh, dare to um, comment on American politics um, uh, from the the pulpit, uh, because we've got uh, crazy, uh, amazing politics. Well, I was going to say crazy politics, but uh, in the UK for, for ourselves. But um, what I do know is that what, what we share in the UK with the US in terms of uh, politics is what I call obfuscation. I can't even say the, the word, but uh, basically obscuring everything. Um, so uh, frequently when you hear a politician asked a straight question, they'll give, what, a vague rambling, disconnected answer to that question. Well, Jesus actually turns the tables on on that. He's asked an obscure, hypothetical, uh, vague question, and he answers with a clear, eye-opening, and life-giving answer. And this is holy ground, therefore. I think this this passage is probably not that well-known in Scripture. But here, Jesus is giving us truth about new creation life, about the the world to come. Jesus, God himself, widens our perspective from a this earth limited view to a God view. And he does, he makes three uh, really um, vital points. The first point is there is this age and that age. That's the language that he uses in this this passage. Uh, If you look back at uh, Jesus' answer in the second paragraph there, uh, those who belong to this age marry and are given in in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in, in marriage. In other words, Jesus makes a distinction between two ages. 
And uh, in one sentence, therefore, Jesus stops the argument about resurrection. He says, there is um, the heavens and the earth. He knows that uh, to be true historically, theologically, and experientially. Historically, the Bible begins, as the the Sadducees believed in Genesis um, and the first five books of the Bible. So uh, they knew that the Bible begins by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and and the earth. That's a historical uh, fact, that there was the the heavens, and then God creates the the earth. Uh, And uh, theologically, the Sadducees also knew that God dwelt with people on this earth. The Lord is pictured in Genesis as walking with Adam in the cool of of the day. But theologically, the Sadducees also knew that earth and heaven were split apart because of our rejection of, of God. That introduced death into the world and separation. Adam and Eve were separated from the tree of of life and death was introduced there was a a tearing apart of god's presence with our location on this earth historically theologically and then experientially jesus came from that place as he calls it to this place he's talking about something that he's experienced. It's not a hypothetical uh, theory, but an actual uh, experience that that he knows and is talking about. So that's the first point. There is this age and that age, and we need to to ensure that we understand the difference between the two. And that's the second point that Jesus makes. He says resurrection life, that place, is different from this place. You can't just apply uh, practices on this earth to the new creation earth. He says those who uh, belong to that place, who are worthy of, of that place, cannot die because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. This is some um, phenomenal teaching, and uh, I think. Uh, uh, a lifetime of sermons would never uh, plumb the depths of, of what Jesus is, is saying here, or the heights, I should say, of what Jesus is saying here. But what Jesus is saying is, yes, we will still be the same people. So uh, four chapters earlier in Luke 16, Jesus uh, refers to how in the new creation dwellings, we will welcome friends that we've made on this earth. So there's a continuation between this earth and, and that so we, we, we will greet each other, and maybe we should agree now that when we're in that, that place, that I'll send an email round saying, remember back in November 2019 that we, we met together? Well, let's have a party just to celebrate that, a little reunion. So we'll relate to each other, but the same will also be different. So... There's no death. We'll be like angels, so there's no sin. And there's no separation. So Jesus uh, says uh, people won't uh, marry or be given in marriage. That doesn't mean that uh, I won't recognize Rachel, my wife, as uh, my, my wife on earth. But our relationship will be changed. 
Change for the, for the better. And, and why? Because there'll be no more conflict, no more division. Our relationship will be perfect, just like my relationship with Jacob will be perfect in the new creation. I mean, it's pretty, pretty good now. Uh, but uh, there'll be no more hostility. That's what will make a difference. And that's what Jesus is, is saying here. Blow your mind, he's saying, uh, about the, the difference of that place over this place. And thirdly, uh, Jesus wants us to know that God relates to us in this place, but also relates to people in that place in exactly the same way. The, uh, the, the words that uh, have huge theological significance are the final words Jesus says. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. God relates to the living and the living. He doesn't relate to the living and the dead. Because as far as God sees, people aren't dead. Yeah, death is a a doorway you pass through, but you pass through to resurrection life. The, The incredible thing Jesus is saying here is God sees Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in exactly the way, same way he sees us. He doesn't uh, not relate to, to them. They're not in uh, some uh, burial chamber. No, he's God of them. They are, to him, Jesus says, they are alive. And this is vitally important for us to understand as we relate to God on this earth. We're relating to, to a God who sees this earth, but also sees the heavens. We only see this earth, don't we? We, we can't see past uh, death. God sees completely life after death on the new earth as well as uh, life on this earth. Because of sin and death, we are separated from, from that vision. But Jesus is saying, trust. Trust the, the God who is the God of the living and relate to him. Don't just think because you're separated from that place by death. Don't think it doesn't exist. Don't push it out of your mind because in God's mind, it's absolutely real. So, so what uh, from this? What, what uh, is the implication for us? Well, well, three questions that Jesus poses for us. And the first is, are you worthy of that place? Because I don't know if you noticed in in the reading, uh, Jesus says there is this place and that place, but he talks about that place with these words, those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection of the dead will neither be given in marriage or or, uh, marry. Those who are considered worthy of a place. Now, Jesus uh, is deliberately... Uh, provoking, I think, the, the Sadducees here, because the Sadducees had cut out of their Bible all sorts of uh, books of the Bible, including the Psalms. Um, and uh, in the Psalms, uh, the psalmist says, who is worthy? Who can stand in the presence of, of the Lord? No one can stand uh, because of sin, because of our rejection. The rejection of our heart means none of us can say, I'm considered worthy by my own account. And that's why Jesus' very first words 
as he begins his, his teaching ministry are the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That place is near. It is available. And how do we make it available? Repent. Turn back to God. Receive his forgiveness and believe the good news of salvation. That the unworthy can be made worthy by the Lord Jesus. As Jesus dies on the cross, what does he do? He takes our unworthiness. He takes our sin and rebellion, and he absorbs it in his death. He pays the price for that so we can be raised to God's sight as worthy, made right with God. That is the good news. And Jesus says, believe that. Accept that. Don't, don't be stuck in this secular uh, mindset that says, I'll try and make myself worthy, and if I can't, I'll just lead as good a life as I can and uh, just deal with the rest uh, when, when I get there. No. Realize that you're not worthy on this earth so that you can be made worthy and go to that place, the new earth, with the Lord Jesus. So are you worthy of it? Secondly, are you looking forward to it? Paul, um, in his letter to the Thessalonians, uh, as we we heard uh, read earlier in chapter 2 there, uh, he says, May the Lord give you eternal comfort and hope. Comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and, and word. Comfort your heart. Allow this hope of new creation that he's been talking about in, uh, in two Thessalonians and in his first letter as well. Allow that hope to invigorate your, your thinking, to lift uh, your thinking day by day. Are we looking forward to it? You know, do you wake um, every, every day thinking, I'm so looking forward uh, to being with, with the Lord Jesus, uh, to that new creation earth? I um, first came to the States in, uh, when I was 11 years old, and uh, I still remember the first morning um, after we flew in uh, uh, late at night, and the first morning, and we walked down. We were staying in, in Park Avenue, actually, so we walked down with my dad uh, down, down the road, and I was so looking forward to going up the Empire State Building and uh, exploring and just so excited as I walked down Park Avenue but I walked down Park Avenue uh, uh, two days ago and people were basically looking down you know they weren't spinning with excitement they were looking at their phones trudging to to work and that's the, the danger isn't it rather than looking forward, the hope that we have of of that place, of being with the Lord. And thirdly, are you living in the light of it? Paul ends there by saying, comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. Is our perspective every day that of building God's kingdom? Is our perspective building eternal treasure that will uh, last for all eternity, or are we just very narrow focused on building treasure now uh, in, in terms of our, our work? Do we see our work as building and connecting with people who will enjoy friendship with for all uh, eternity? I think one, one of the dangers in our uh, existence now is that um, when we wake up in the morning, the first thing we do is look at our phones. Uh, do you do that? Um, 
No, uh, uh, people in the audience. Well, I'm very glad um, because um, uh, I, I find uh, a lot of people uh, that I talk to, you know, if the danger is you start by looking at your phone and the stream, as C.S. Lewis calls it, of emails and demands and uh, trying to post on Facebook or whatever, uh, that stream starts. But what, how should we start our day? By looking up, saying, Good morning, Lord. This is a day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Make that our perspective as we go through the day. I've been made right with God. I've been made worthy. Now let's live a life of love that is worthy of of the calling that I've received. Don't be a spiritual secularist, narrow-focused, but widen your perspective, Jesus says. Look to God's kingdom and his righteousness. That's my prayer uh, for myself. That's my prayer for all of us. Let's pray together. Father, we, we recognize it's easy to uh, live life uh, with you on the, the sideline sometimes. It's uh, easy to uh, just to, to get through uh, life. And we're, we're sorry for those times when we ignore you. And we, we pray that uh, you will give us a fresh perspective each day of your eternity, that you're the God of the living, uh, that you're the Lord of resurrection, and that you have great purposes for us, purposes that are for your eternal kingdom glory uh, day by day. Help us to see those, to live in those, and rejoice in those. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.